catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. Look at that. What's thing. up, everybody? Look <laughs> <laughs> that smile for the camera. Right when he hit live, he's got this little smile ready to go. What a joker. Okay, Joe. Do uh, February 22nd edition of the Fightful MMA podcast. Does it to me every week. Sean Pearson. Follow him online at Sean Pearson, social media-wise, uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. He's got to get me some way, somehow, at the beginning of every podcast. And you know, about 45 minutes from now, he'll do it at the end of this podcast. Sean, what's going on, my man? Not much. Just a big week ahead of, uh, you know, a big week just followed with UFC stuff. And, you know, the news is just piling up, piling up. So it's been good. But you just you know the drill. I've been doing TV for years, podcasts for a long time. You just, when you get to five, four, three, two, one, you start smiling before it gets to the one. Well, listen, if you're not in a good mood, you shouldn't be smiling. You're like about to mood? do a podcast with me, so you can't be in a good mood. You know you're about to get ripped. So you might as well put that frown back on. So you know exactly what's going through my head right now. So no, nope, <laughs> I hear you. Uh, I haven't talked to you in a week. Obviously, a lot of stuff has occurred in the world of mixed martial arts, most specifically the UFC Halifax show. Uh, some interesting belts that took place there, obviously, with the main event. Uh, controversy still brewing. Some people are brushing it off. Some people aren't brushing it off. But obviously, Derek Lewis does emerge victorious versus Travis Brown in, in a very controversial fashion with the way, not, the, not with the way he won, but the fact that Mario Masaki didn't stop it. Um, did you think that fight should have been stopped earlier? Uh, and regarding, you know, Derek Lewis's post-fight comments that, you know, weren't exactly nice. Obviously taking a shot at the propagation against Travis Brown and then calling out Ronda Rousey. Well, I think, you know, first of all, the way it was finished, not his fault. I mean, Mario should have stopped that fight earlier, but these things do happen. Um, it's very unfortunate because obviously you've got, you know, chances that, a, you know, a further, more severe concussion on Travis Brown. Um, I thought even after the uppercuts that he was getting leaned with, I'm like. You know, Mario wanted to give Travis Brown the benefit of the doubt. No doubt in anyone's eyes, it was stopped too late. But again, it, these things happen, unfortunately, but. Really, the, what burns me here is just a lack of class and, um, I don't know, just the lack of character that he showed in his post-fight interview. I'm like, you fought, you, you did your thing, and, you know, focus on the positives. Focusing on Travis Brown's personal life is none of your business. Um, to, state to state things as facts that aren't facts is even worse. And you've now put yourself in an element where, to me, like, this isn't mixed martial arts anymore. You talk about someone's family, you do other things. If something bad happens to you outside of this, I'm almost like, you know, there's karma for you. To me, like, I'm not a big fan of his now. Like, I, I liked watching him fight. Now I'm looking at that going, you know what I mean? I, like you mentioned before the podcast, it's just not, not needed here, and especially in a sport that we're trying to clean up and legitimize. I know we're already legitimate, but, you know, we're always trying to strive for bigger and better things. He just set us back with comments like that. 
so one of the things that disturbed me after after seeing that was not only Brian Stan, who's always in an awkward situation because I've been there. I've had to interview fighters inside of a cage and like, oh my God, what is this guy saying? But I've never had to do it in a manner where I'm on live television, Fox, you know, right across the States, right across Canada, right across the world. It's not like it was pay-per-view where people are paying to see this and, you know, you can expect guys to drop F-bombs. But on national television to do something of that nature, uh, it, it, it puts Brian Stan in a very bad position. It puts Dana White and the UFC owners in a very bad position. Um, we, we talked about it right after the event with Sean Ross Sapp, the managing editor for Fightful.com. Uh, he said he, he wouldn't be surprised if Dana White got in to Derek Lewis's face and said, you can't do that. Don't do that. You're about to go on Fox right now in the post-fight. You better smarten up. Well, really, I, I think the hammer's got to come down. Um, we've got new owners. People have got to, they've got to start showing and stepping in here to say, okay, we have a new direction and new ownership with this stuff. Like That can't be tolerated like on any level in any sport. Um, you know, could you imagine that in, in basketball or football or hockey? Like, you know, there would be a hefty, hefty, hefty fine. And the, the problem with our sport is when you suspend somebody, it's usually a joke because people don't fight. Like in a, in a hockey game, when you get a seven-game suspension or a nine-game suspension, it means something. Or, you know what I mean? When you get suspended for six months or nine months, well, you're probably not going to fight for the next six to nine months anyway. So it's a joke. Um, the fines, you know, depending on what the, these fighters are making individually, but to me, it's like the whole steroid thing. One year is the minimum anyone should be suspended for, because again, you might fight once a year. You know what I mean? So to me, where's the real, the crackdown on this stuff? And so something like this, you've got to crack down hard. The show won't be tolerated. I think it's, I think it's, if I'm not mistaken, and I like it better, I think it's two years now, if I'm not mistaken, that if you get caught with a performance-enhancing drug, that's a two-year suspension, is it not? I don't know, what happened with Chad Mendes? Chad Mendes did something, I guess he had some cream or something like that, but um, I know you're probably laughing already that it was cream or something like that, but yeah. um, I think it's a two-year suspension now, which to me is much better because you're losing two years worth of salary. I mean, if you're, if you're taking performance-enhancing drugs and you're trained to hurt another human being who's also trained to hurt you, but you're doing it based with some enhancements, there's got to be some, some, you know, a stiff penalty to pay. Stiff penalty to pay, and I think the other fighters got to be compensated. That's the whole thing with the Mark Hunt situation. You look at the way that Brock Brock Lesnar was um, compensated to cheat. His fine, he's laughing at. And then you look at Mark Hunt, who said, "I'm the one who was on the losing side of this, who took the the punishment and the abuse from this person that you let cheat." Where's where the reaper? How did this benefit me? You let the UFC benefited, Brock Lesnar benefited. Where's my benefit? I got a loss my record that's now maybe a no contest. I don't think his paycheck went up. Again, there might be things that I don't see, but you know, you paid some guy $2 million or whatever it was to cheat. Where was the, where's the real repercussions? What was, do we know what Brock Lester's fine was? Cause I'm sure it's not $2 million. He shouldn't have been paid. Don't pay the guy. You know what? There's no disagreement here. I think you're absolutely bang on. If you get caught for something of that nature, refund, sorry. A check isn't cashing, and I think there was a time when Lorenzo Fertitta came out publicly and stated, "I think it was Lorenzo or maybe someone from the from the Zufa regime that basically said your checks don't get cashed until that drug test comes back." Yeah, and to be honest with you, even more so, I don't think the UFC should keep that money. That money should go to the other fighter. He's the one that put you know everything at risk in that fight. So I don't want the UFC to benefit from the positive test. I want the other fighter to, to benefit, and then even more so, let's say if both fighters tested positive. Spread it among, spread it amongst the card. I mean, Interesting. That, that that money 
is meant for the card. Like to me, you've got to set payroll for the card and we're always trying to get the fighters to make, you know, more money and a better piece of the pie. So to me, they, you know, the first and foremost, it goes to the other fighter or a portion does, let's say 50% and then 50% gets spread out amongst the rest. Now, sometimes that's going to be, you know, 5,000 bucks or 10,000 bucks. And sometimes it's going to be 2 million. I don't know, but everybody will be jump trying to jump on those cards. Yeah. <laughs> right. I who's never most, thought of that. You're absolutely correct. Positive. Who's most likely to test positive? I want to get on that card. <laughs> what is this guy funny next? Yeah, I want on that card. Please. I want on that card. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Um so there's we, we talked about this last week about you know the UFC cutting a lot of fighters. Travis Brown makes a lot of money and now he's lost again. Uh, also on this card was Sam Cecilia. He ends up losing, as does Carlos Barza. Do you think there's any fear now that with the U, the new UFC regime basically doing all these cost cutting that those three fighters potentially are in danger of, of you know losing their gigs with the UFC? I think they should be. They, there, there should be some fear there, and I don't mean that should be as in. They should have some fear because the UFC can cut their contracts at any time. You use that word lightly because they're not really contracts. To me, a contract means if you give me a four-fight contract, I should be able to fight four fights out. If you don't want me to fight four fights, you should have to pay me out for my four fights. That's not the way these contracts work. These contracts work where you give me a four-fight contract, here's my fight one, two, three, and four pay, if you don't like the way I fight after fight one, you can cut me with no repercussions. But I can't take that my you know my one win and go anywhere else. So it's a one-way contract. I've got nothing I can do. No, no, no eh, zero negotiating power with these contracts. But I would always fear for these guys. You after a loss, you know if they don't like the way you perform, there's a good chance you're getting out of there. I feel bad for for Sam because Gavin. It was a Gavin Tucker. Is that the name from the family? Yep. I'm his biggest fan. Like I was my first time seeing him fight and he was amazing. Like I, I loved watching him out there. I think he's charismatic. He's from Newfoundland. He's got uh, a good swagger to him, good fighting style. I think potentially he's a, a superstar out of here in Canada. I think uh, if they play their cards right with him, there's somewhere he can go. So here I am watching this fight and I, I didn't realize it, but I think maybe about I don't know, Sean, three minutes in, I kept looking at the clock and next to the clock, basically it shows the weight class and I kept seeing featherweight. I'm like, is this a bantamweight fight or a featherweight fight? Because this guy this guy moves like a bantamweight. He is fast. He's super quick. Uh, and I was just like, like, like you said, I was just blown away by this guy's style and how amazing. But Robin Black made a good point on Monday that the style matchup, Definitely favored a guy like Gavin Tucker to show off that speed, that in and out movement, because Sam Cecilia will prod forward. He just he's he's more or less flat foot footed, looks for the counter, and basically throws those bombs when he has to throw those bombs. Uh, agree, disagree? I mean, your thoughts on, on when you first saw Gavin Tucker as that fight progressed? Oh, I completely agree. Styles make fights, but I'm sure you can find other stylistic positive matchups in that weight division because so i'm talking about more than just the style of fighting like i just felt like you've got a young guy with a good swagger he's well spoken on the mic you're looking for canada's next big superstar i think if you play your cards right the ufc can build them all he wants it's called spade a spade i've said it before the ufc picks and chooses who they want to build i mean who, who do we want to build into a superstar and again you have to take the reins and go with it but if given the opportunity i, I look at him and saying this is someone that might be an opportunity there like again I liked his interview. I, I liked everything about that fight. And I'm not saying he's going to be a world beater yet, but if you bring him in slowly, I think he's 9-0 and right now or maybe 10-0. and Yeah, 10-0, yep. Give him a couple other fights that are stylistically good matchups for him, but again, are, are good caliber fighters and see what he can do with it. 
I mean, they've done it to a lot of other guys. You know, I, I think Conor McGregor was brought in a little bit like that. You know, everybody wanted to see him fight a wrestler, but it took a while for them to get him a wrestler. You mean, and now, you know, Conor's a total package. But I would have been, I would have been curious to see what would have happened early if they had to given him some fighters that, you know, we thought would have been come through with flying colors, but you'll never know. They brought him up the way they wanted to, and it paid off. The same could be said for Eamon Zahabi, though, because uh, I was concerned for him to make his, his Octagon debut because I didn't feel he had been tested enough outside of the UFC, and there was a concern for me saying, oh, man, now you're in the big show. You got that famous last name. This is going to be a lot of pressure. You, you, I mean, you, you've had some good fights, but you haven't been tested. Well, he got tested uh, for 15 minutes against the guy that was not going to back down, who took a beating whenever Eamon decided to switch gears and launch that, you know, that, that those that incredible those incredible combinations and that that power that he has, the precision that he has. Uh, overall, I was definitely impressed with Eamon's debut. Uh, although the only, I mean, the only if you want to pick at him and say that you know what he needs to work on this the only thing that i saw really sean and correct me if i'm wrong was just the head movement right rob but you know other people were saying that when you throw a lot of punches it's, it's tough to keep your head going but there were times when he was getting hit he was getting tagged and it was just a matter of a lack of head movement but other than that i mean damn good debut if you ask me i thought his debut was great and i, I think all that stuff will be worked on it to me he's He's been brought up properly. He's been brought up very slow. Like, I don't mean just for fighting, but I just mean in general, his, his technique. Like, he's been training for a long, long time. He's been training with top-level athletes for a long, long time. Um, I think Faraz was very hesitant early in his career to even, you know, bring him this way. And until Eamon had to – Eamon had to do more than anybody else to prove to his brother that he was ready. And that makes sense because you want to protect family. Um, and, and that's the way it's been done. And now he's here. And – Again, I, I agree with you. I think he can do a lot of great things. There's obviously going to be things he can improve on, but he comes from the same camp that George came from and everybody else. You look at that and you're like, these guys don't want to get hit. They, He's going to fix those things. He knows that one punch can change a fight. We've all been around since the Matt Sarah-George fight. Um, so defensively, I think he'll he'll try and start fixing some holes and go from there. But, you know, the sky's the limit right now. What about Johnny Hendricks? I mean, he emerges victorious versus Hector Lombard, but... In the post-fight interview, standing next to Brian Stan, who was a middleweight, there was a massive size discrepancy there. That was a big height difference there. That's what a middleweight looks like. Uh, you know, in 2017, Johnny Hendricks is very short for this division, but you're a wrestler, and I know he can rely on his wrestling. Um, wh what do you see next for Johnny Hendricks? I know he's, he won. He won at 185, but, man, you, there's you all Romero in this division. There's, you know, Luke Rockhold in this division, Jacare Souza. There's some big boys at 185. Again, I'm not going to count him out, but I don't think he's the right fit for the division. I think he can make 170. When I say easily, I know it's not an easy cut for him, but I mean, he's not the leanest guy at 170. He's definitely not the leanest guy at 185. So physically, you can make the cut. And if it takes too much out of his training, I think we talked about this before, then I understand why he wants to be at 185. But when he gets the bigger boys at 185, he's, he's going to run into problems. And it all comes down to, I've, I've said this to my friends a lot, it's not about how strong you are and how big you are, it's, it's your frame. If you can figure out how to fight as a much shorter fighter, then all the power to you. Mike Tyson, you know, in boxing, did it, did it amazingly. But a lot of times your frame dictates your weight class. So, you know, when you're you're fighting guys that are six foot four, I don't know how tall, um, I, the whole time I saw him fighting, I was thinking of Rockhold. How tall is Rockhold? Oh, six, God. Three? Yeah, he's tall, man. Big time. And, I look at that matchup and I'm like, again, no one knows until they fight, but I look at that and I'm thinking Rockhold will murder you. Now, again, no one's going to murder Johnny Hendricks. Johnny Hendricks is an ex-UFC champion, so he's he's not someone you murder. But, I mean, 
that would be a very, very difficult fight for Johnny Hendricks. You know, Luke Rockhold's a bigger fighter, the taller fighter, the longer fighter. Technically, he's very good. You know, so I look at those matchups because I know Johnny Hendricks doesn't want to be just, uh, you know, a, the average middleweight. He, he was a champion at one time. I'm assuming he wants to do the same thing at middleweight. But at the same time, I heard that he called out GSP. So I think really he just wants pay, paychecks. He's just looking for big paydays, which, again, we've talked about it. Makes sense. I don't think that fight makes sense for George because Johnny's not a draw right now. But I understand what he's trying to do. He's trying to create a little bit of hype around himself and, and just get some big fights, which, again, all the power to him. So George St. Pierre, as we all know, has signed. Uh, he's back with the UFC. Now, the question is, fine, you're back. Who are you going to fight against? And obviously, the original fight back in December in Toronto was going to be Michael Bisping, uh, which led, you know, we had this conversation you know, with a bunch of people. You know, if he beats Michael Bisping, that Anderson Silva fight is right there. Uh, but now there's talk that George, that George St. Pierre... And, and his camp may want to face Conor McGregor because George potentially could make 155 pounds or make that fight at 170. There's options for George, and they're big options, and obviously they're big paydays. Uh, if you could get into George's ear or at least you know talk to the guys, what would you say? Or what do you think is going to happen with George? Well, the, the fight that makes the most sense for George is Conor McGregor, and that fight actually makes a lot of sense for Conor McGregor because it's a, a win-win situation for him. If he loses to the bigger fighter again at 170, no big deal. I lose at 170. You know what I mean? He's shown that he can adapt from that. Now, George is the same thing. He's like, I'm coming back. That's a big payday. You know what I mean? I'm fighting the smaller fighter, so I have an advantage with size. Um, I also have an advantage because wrestling is Connor's, you know, weakness of if we're, if we're going to choose something, it's, it's wrestling, which is George's strongest standpoint. So I think stylistically, George looks at that matchup and it's a good matchup for him. Um, and Connor looks at it as saying, well, this is a huge payday for me, huge payday for George. That's the fight I would want to make happen if I was George. Anderson Silva, the mystique's gone a little bit. Um, I know he won his last fight, but it's not, you know, if that fight headlines a card, it's not going to be what it would have been five years ago. Oh, yeah, for sure, 100%. So, you know, again, do what you got to do, but I would say, and it's still a dangerous fight. I don't care what anyone says. Like, when Anderson... The, the the reason why I don't want to see that fight is because I could see Anderson and George being a very boring fight. Oh, wow. Um, why? Because Anderson sometimes doesn't... Anderson wants to be a counterfighter a lot. George is a very smart fighter, not to get drawn into that. So if Anderson doesn't want to be on the offensive, it's going to be very difficult for the two, you know, because he wants to counter. George is not one of those straight-up attacking fighters that throws wild punches and gets clipped coming in. Do you know what I mean? So I, I can just see Anderson being a hard takedown and stay keeping his distance, much like he did with Theo Ladies and you know some of his other fights, and not not a lot of engagement. Do you know what I mean? So again, that, that that would be my fear, right? You've got this huge hype up, this huge fight coming up. We've all wanted to see it for 20 years, 10 years, whatever it is, and it just doesn't live up to it. But I do see the Connor and George fight having fireworks one way or the other. I see there, you know, potentially being a finish there, whether it be on George's side with a, a submission or a ground and pound, or, you know, he's a big boy too. Even knocking him down with a Superman punch. I don't know. Or Connor letting those hands loose and actually tagging George. You know what I mean? It's happened before. So that, that fight's got a lot more mystique to me and a lot more of uh, excitement. I think that fight would bring a lot more excitement right now. Um, oh, this, this, ladies and gentlemen, this is why I can't stand talking to Pearson. Because I hate when he's right. Um, that's I'm why leaning towards what? That's why we didn't talk for a couple of months. <laughs> no, I'm always right. 
I'm, I'm now leaning towards this Connor fight, this GSP Connor fight. I think it makes sense. I think you're right. I think I like it because the headaches now, there will be headaches no matter what happens with George because Bisping, it ties up the division again. Well, you know, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure, you know, the, the Yoel Romero's and Jacare Souza's are going to be pissed off. Like, hey, man, like, this, this is my title shot. If it go, if if Conor McGregor fights George St. Pierre, whether it's 155 or at 170, it's going to piss off Tony Ferguson uh, and and Habib Nurmagomedov and the rest of that division. Although you say that that fight on next or two Saturdays now UFC 209, that's for the real 155 pound title. Uh, but no matter what George does, I think he's going to cause a bit of headaches for a variety of fighters. But I do like the fight versus Conor McGregor in terms of of an absolute massive, huge, incredible draw. Uh, I don't like it for George because it's his first fight back in three years versus a very, very dangerous southpaw. Uh, I'd like to see George, I hate to say it, get a tune-up fight, but if he gets $10 million a fight, there's no one out there that the UFC would give him that isn't a big name because a tune-up fight's a tune-up fight. And how do you, how do you, what kind of fight is a tune-up fight for George? That's the real problem here. What's a tune-up fight? Do you know what I mean? Like, you've got to pay the guy a certain salary, and then you've got to get a certain caliber fighter in there. And let's call a spade a spade here. If he fights at welterweight, and he's got to fight a top 10 guy, to me, you know, they're all as dangerous as Connor is. Some of them more. Do you know what I mean? So I'm like, what are you, who are you giving him as a tune-up? Because if he fights, you know, give me a top 10 welterweight. Uh, well, Damian Maia needs an opponent. Okay, well, Damian Maia, you don't think he's as dangerous as Connor McGregor in a different way, but he's hugely dangerous, right? Um, Damian Maya, um, I forget, I don't even know the, the top 10 anymore. Cause no one, any, no one cares anymore. Right. <laughs> See, True. ladies and gentlemen, this is what we've been saying about, this is what I've been saying on this podcast for quite some time, uh, when it comes to, to, to Canada, when it comes to the UFC in Canada, this, this is the sentiment that we've had for quite some time. Uh, it's been a good two years now. It's just people, they could just. The, the UFC's lost so much luster, uh, you know. And again, I, I'm that guy that's biased, obviously, because of what happened uh, when you know the UFC was on Sportsnet, and then it just kind of moved over to another network. But you know, guys in the top ten, Sean, like you got you got Robbie Lawler, you got Carlos Condit. We've already seen that fight. At number five is Neil Magny, Jorge Masvidal at six, Dunyan Kim at seven, Donald Cerrone at eight. Uh, Gunnar Nelson's taking on Alan Joben, anyways, but Tarek Safadin. So yeah, no, I hear what you're saying. And then. The other thing is, and for me, it's it's not necessarily the the loss of the hype. It's like I still like all those fighters you just mentioned there. I'd probably want to watch. There's not one guy I don't want to watch. But my problem is, the the rankings of fighters are biased. Like as a fighter, how do I up my rankings? If okay, let's say I'm ranked twentieth. I don't know, but I want to move into the top ten. If I'm not calling out top ten guys, or the UFC is not giving me fights that move me up the rankings, how do I move up? I could have a six-fight win streak and be ranked 20th, right? Because if I fought guys that are all underneath me in ranking, I haven't moved up. So to me, the, the, the ranking of fighters, it's not a true sport. We've already discussed this. It's a sports entertainment. So the more entertaining you are, the more opportunity you have to, to move yourself up those rankings, and the more the UFC wants to put you up in those rankings because they want you with the big money fights. So that's what I'm saying. But the rankings don't matter because it's about who do you want to see fight. You know, you can be the number 14th ranked guy, but if you're the most exciting guy, like right now I want to see Gavin Tucker fight. He's ranked, what, 50th, 60th? I don't know. <laughs> very but true. 100%. Very true. I want to see him fight. His style looked great, so his next fight, I'm I'm eager to watch it. Um, And then there's other guys that win fights, and I could care less. You know what I mean? Again, it's it's they're great fighters, but, you know, just because you're ranked in the top 10 doesn't mean I want to watch you fight. 
Yeah, well, I mean, I think you mentioned the rankings are biased. I think there's a, there's just just too many. It's just too subjective. You know, that's why I I, I released myself. What's that? Here's the here's the best comment about rankings. How come when someone's cut from the UFC or no longer a contract, they're no longer in the rankings? So no longer is that really a top ten ranking. It's a UFC like that that clearly shows you that UFC puts who they want in the rankings where they want them. Do you mean because I I know that there was a few cuts from the UFC recently, but the reason why people found out is because you know certain people were removed. I think we the, we lost you there for a bit, Sean. Go back to your point there with uh, when, when guys get removed. When guys get removed from the UFC, they they're automatically dropped out of the top ten. Do you mean like I saw a couple of guys? Like I, I think it was Misha was one of them, and there was someone else there. But the reason why everybody noticed they were having problems is because they were moved out of the rankings. So, I mean, if one of the guys is ranked eighth and then all of a sudden they're in contract negotiations, well, they're not ranked anymore. So, again, the, the rankings are good for the casual fan because they have no clue. But for everybody who watches this part religiously, we know who the good guys are. We know who we want to watch fight. It's it, Honestly, the casual fan that I go to the bar, if I go to Boston Pizza and watch a fight or a stakeout or something, the average fan, they don't care what two drunk guys in the octagon. They really don't. You know what I mean? Other than the main event, they just want to see two guys smash each other in the face, hope for a little blood. You know what I mean? Like, that's it. Your average fan. As we get more intelligent and people are a little bit more into the fighting, they want to see the skill sets. But it is what it is. I've been to enough amateur shows where the skill level is so low, but they're still packed with people screaming and cheering because everybody's hammered and they just want to see a fight or fight themselves. I don't know. Was there ever a guy that you took on in your career that, even after it was done, you just still you just didn't like the guy at all and could care less about any sort of camaraderie afterwards. Um, I don't know. I'm pretty easy to go. I'm trying to think of early in my career. So Vigno is nice. I like that guy. Um, Nestor, I didn't care a lot for him. But again, I had nothing against him. I think because he didn't speak a lot of English, so we really had no relationship after a fight. No, there's no one off the top of my head that I can think of that I you know, didn't like. Um, to be honest with you, a lot of the guys I actually, you know, talked to afterwards and I thought were cool. Like, I remember Jake Hecht after my UFC fight, we were talking. Seemed like a cool guy. Um, even Ellenberger, you know what I mean? Like, we didn't, we, we talked a couple different times. Seemed like a cool guy. After you fight someone, I had this con we did a feature on this a while ago uh, when it was on UFC Central. Do you feel some sort of like, um, the word brotherhood is not, is not the good word. It's just like some sort of like, you shared something with another human being that you know not many people get to do, albeit kicking the crap out of each other. But you have a newfound respect for this guy because you you went toe to toe with this guy. He survived, or you survived, or you won, or he won, whatever it is. Do you find a newfound respect for this person from what you had before the fight? Depends on the performance. It's like a one night stand. You know what I mean? If <laughs> performance, there's no relation. I don't know, man. Like we want. <laughs> and that, that comment is just so loaded. You know what I mean? That's amazing. We shared something. I'm like, I don't know what we shared, but you know, you're going off on me a little bit there. Sean. Don't look at me in the eyes when you talk like that. <laughs> <laughs> that's terrible. Oh my God. That's terrible. Um, Sarah McMahon. I want to get to Sarah McMahon because you're a wrestler. She's a wrestler. Um, people were praising her after her win versus Gina Mazzani on, on social media. And I, I was kind of like, am I, am I the only one here that thinks this is what she should have done no matter what? Like, what are we praising here? She, she should have 
quote unquote demolished Gina. I mean, Gina was was outmatched. You know, great good fighter, but not on on Sarah McMahon's level. No, and and the truth is, it's like you know, I'm ready for a title shot. Well, I don't know. You haven't. I'm not saying you haven't, but you haven't showed me any difference than the first time when you fought Ronda. Do you mean so? Maybe who's the champ of that weight class right now? Amanda Nunes. Maybe Amanda Nunez is a slightly better matchup for her than Rousey was, but I look at the Rousey fight going, okay, you got Judoka, wrestler, both, you know, Olympic level. So you're ne- going to negate each other pretty much for takedowns. You know what I mean? Someone might get one, but ground skills will be similar, slightly different, you know, ground and pound versus, uh, you know, the armbar goddess. But where this, where's her stand-up? Like, I didn't get to see much. So how can I gauge whether I think you're ready for another rematch at a title shot? When I haven't seen, you know, you threw one punch, I think, and went for the takedown. Again, do what you got to do to win, but I, I haven't seen the progression um, for her to like solidify where I'm like, oh, she's a new, a new fighter. I haven't seen that yet. Uh, probably a funny question because I probably know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask anyways just to be safe. Did you have a chance uh, to glance over and watch Bellator at all? Uh, no, I didn't even know there was a Bellator event. <laughs> oh, yes, I, I, I did know because Fader never fought. So why would I even try and tune into that one? They sold they they sold wolf tickets. That's the what's the, the Nick Diaz quote. Wolf tickets. I'm gonna watch I'm gonna watch Fedor. Oh no, you're not. Sorry about your luck. Yeah, I, I mean obviously a tough situation for Matt Mitrione, uh, kidney stone issue. Uh but I heard you like know four what? guys stepped in to take that fight, but why couldn't they get it to work? So okay, so I want to ask you that question because Chael Sonnen obviously said yes, he'd fight Fedor. Uh but Fedor basically turned down uh Chael and apparently a lot of other guys. Uh, are you surprised that he turned it down, or was it a situation where I mean, what, what goes through is, his is mind? It, is anybody concerned or anybody questioning that Fader turned things down? Fader should have been in the UFC twenty years ago, and he wasn't because he turned down opportunities. And it, when I say Fader, I mean his management team turns down opportunities. Like again, if you want to be, this is so hard for me because I think Fader's a great fighter. Um, he's not my all-time greatest fighter, like he is on some people's list, because I feel like they ducked a lot of fights. Um, and I, I don't think he ducked anybody because it's in a fighter's nature not to duck anyone. But I think his management team overprotected him and wanted too much and asked too much. Um, and he stayed away from the toughest fights when he, you know, he could have solidified himself as the GOAT. And he didn't. And this is just another opportunity for me to say, I told you so, because he should have taken one of those fights. Again, he, he's got different management now, so I know what you're saying, but his manager or, or one of the people that is around him uh, is Jerry Millen, uh, who's also the executive producer for Ryzen, and him and Dana White do not get along. So from right there, that, that Fedor in the UFC probably would never happen. So, But I just think there's a lot of opportunity. He could have proved me right there. like He could have taken jail, but it's a different fighter. It's a, a, a different challenge, but in my head, I'm like, we're paid to fight, and that, that's the, the part of me that why, again, I'm not a manager. I'm, I'm a fighter, but I took fights. Like, I, you know, Ellenberger was on, what, a week's notice? I was supposed to fight Ellenberger, and I knew I was outmatched, but it was an opportunity for me to fight my hometown. So, I don't know. I, I think he should have taken the fight. Um, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just saying, Chael's a smaller fighter. Like, there's pros and cons to that fight. Like, I, I don't know why Chael's a good draw as well. Like, I don't know. It was a good opportunity. He should have taken that fight. It would have been a much bigger well, let, let, let's let's be honest for a second. If that fight took place and because of the beauty of social media, that thing would have spread like a wildfire because we would we woke up that morning knowing it was Mitrione versus Fedor and you no, know, it's Fedor versus Chael Sonnen. 
between yeah, the roof, a, in my opinion. It's a bigger fight for me. Um, again, I'm not. I, I, Matt Mitrone's a, a solid fighter. Don't get me wrong, but he's not someone I'm. You know, I'm going to watch. Like he's not. He's not moving the needle for me. Um, Chael does, and it's because of his mouth. You know what I mean? I don't think in fighting styles, I don't think they're actually much different as far as technique. Like, you know, Chael's good at what he does. He grinds away. and But, you know, ever, every time I think of Chael right now, I think of that spinning back fist where he falls into the cage before he eats the knee from Anderson. But I, I don't know. I, it was a bigger fight. It was a good opportunity. Um, so, again, I don't know what's going through Fader's head or his manager's head or whatever, but just another lost opportunity. Will you watch the Rory McDonald Paul Daly fight? Because that's one I'm definitely yes, interested in. I will. I'll watch. Like I'm, I consider myself a friend of Rory's, and I'm a fan of Rory's as well. Um, great fighter, and Paul Daly is a great fighter. So I'm interested to see. I think Rory's going to give him a beating. I think Semtex is great at you know stopping people. Rory defensively is very sound, and he's a, an underrated stand-up fighter. I think uh, I think Rory's going to take that fight. People said that Robbie Lawler took Rory McDonald's soul. I respectfully disagree because Robbie Lawler is Robbie Lawler. He's a bad man, and when he hits you and he hits you a lot, you're going to go down. And, and Rory did what he could to try and defeat him, wasn't able to do so. Uh, I think taking this time off was actually good for him. Number one, he's got to get his nose cleared up and fixed and all that jazz and healed up, but it brings that hunger back. And, and I, I, I'm the first to say it. Rory McDonald's not dealing with a full deck of cards. I mean, the guy, the guy is missing a few screws in my, in, in my opinion. And if you give him the excuse to fight, you know, this is a guy that tippy toes on, 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 on tooth floss, dying to fall into the, into a cage. I mean, this is, this is a guy that doesn't mess around. Uh, and I think, you know, Paul Daly's doing what he's trying to do, trying to get into Rory's head. But like you said, Rory's a bad, bad man. And, and, and this, this is going to be an interesting fight. I'm not saying Paul Daly can't win, but Rory McDonald with his reach and with his vengeance to, to, to prove that he made a right decision going to Bellator, I'm very intrigued for this fight, man. No, I think it's going to be a big fight, and I think uh, if Daly's smart, he'll just keep talking trash and keep talking trash and building the hype up for this fight because it's one of those fights that it could be, you know, I'm, I'm not saying the UFC is A-class and Bellator is B-class, although I am saying that this is a fight that's an A-class fight. Do you mean overall, I think if they build this correctly and put some money behind it, I think this can be an A-class fight with some you know great promo work and I'll be excited to watch it. Speaking of guys putting money behind products, there, there's there's a small little trend happening right now with UFC fighters leaving the UFC on their own accord and not being cut. You got Nikita Krylov going back to Russia. He wants to compete in Russia in his homeland. Uh, and a top guy, a top 125-pounder in Horiguchi decides, see ya. I'm going to Ryzen in Japan. Um, are you surprised by some of these things? You know, I, I know we haven't really got to the end or to the bottom of the whole Misha Sirkinov situation uh, and that negotiation, but you know, there's there's two guys right there that decided, nah, I'm good. I don't know who either guy is, so you know, don't want to kill the topic, but I'm like, they're not going far in the UFC right now because again, if I don't know who they are, and again, I'm being a little bit. So Krylov is the guy that 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 Sirkinov beat. Yeah, so obviously he's not wasn't going far. He just lost a fight already, so he's and he's not being pushed. So he might do better by going back to Russia, winning a few more fights, and coming back. Who knows? Reinvent himself. He was the guy who threw the he threw the heavy bombs, right? With Misha, and his two fights ago, not the last fight, but the fight before it. Yeah, correct. Yeah. So he to me looked like a hundred and eighty five pounder. Um, 
heavy hands. He threw nice looping overhand punches, but I felt like he was undersized to Misha. So, you know, maybe he's doing the right thing. Um, I'm not, I, I think I've seen the, the 125 pound fight. Um, great fighter. But again, if you're not marketable, the UFC is not for you because the UFC has now shown the fact that we are trying to market fighters, not necessarily always the best athlete. We want marketable athletes all in one, even the whole preference of who owns the UFC. What do they do? They, it's a marketing company, isn't it? Or like a entertainment, entertainment company. company. Yep. Yep. So what's that tell you about this sport? Get ready. We're about sports entertainment. We need you to want to promote yourself. We need you to want to have the look, to walk the walk, talk the talk. You need to do it all. And if you're not going to do it, we're not cutting you right now, but we're also not pushing you, right? And if you don't get the push, you don't get the payday. And risk versus reward suck. If you're risking a lot, you're risking your life in here for a low payday. It's, you know, find a better decision. You might get paid better elsewhere. So with that being said, and I think you bring up a, a very valid point because the fact that you said you don't know who, you don't, I'm sure you know who he is, but the way you say it, it's like, I don't know who Horiguchi, Horiguchi is. It's a damn good fighter. He couldn't beat Demetrius Johnson, which is fine. Demetrius Johnson is a special fighter at 125 pounds. But guys like Horiguchi and guys that don't speak English per se, guys that aren't able to market themselves um, you know, by, by speaking English, does that put a dent into the UFC in terms of international talent that don't speak English? Or you have to be somebody special that that sort of crosses that barrier like Anderson Silva back in the day that despite there was an English-speaking issue, just performed in a manner where he would destroy people? Is that, is that one way guys or girls can, can make a statement by destroying people even if they're not quote-unquote marketable? Um, yeah, you've got to find find ways to do it. Like if you're trying to break into the American market, you've got to be marketable. And that doesn't mean you have to speak English. It's, it's funny you mentioned this because I was watching a, I was on Facebook. I don't know if it was yesterday or today. And there was, a, I want to say Japanese, but I, I might be wrong. He might've been another Asian descent. I'm not sure, but it was at a pool tournament. And this guy's doing an interview with him after a, you know, a pool tournament. And after every game, he was just say the weirdest things, but the crowd would go nuts. Because in this interview, the guy would be asking him something, and he would just start talking something completely different and then tell the interviewer, I don't speak English. And he's got broken English, but I'll have to find it for him. But again, the guy knows that he's just marketing himself. I mean, he's being funny. He's, Who he's, was the guy that we had here with the Jays two years ago? I know exactly what you're talking about. I don't remember his name. but He was doing the commercials, too. And I was like, he speaks no English, but his commercials are golden. Yeah, and that's it. You've got to find a way to market yourself. Like it, it's a little tougher, you know what I mean? But you've got to figure it out. And the hard part is it's not everybody's personality. You think about it, most fighters aren't comedians. They're not not all of them are even well spoken. You know what I mean? It, it is what it is. It's it, it's a grind, this sport, right? So and you know, fighting in general has started in the in the the poorer areas, right? So you've got to just find something that the people can relate to. And I think that's the hardest part for a younger fighter to realize is that you need to get the general public to relate to your story. So somehow you don't have much time and some of us get no time, but you've got to use social media to get people to relate to you, to understand your struggle and what you're going through. And it doesn't always have to be a bad struggle. Like everybody thinks that you have to be the, you know, the, I was going to say, uh, the, you know, the poor kid who comes up like the, the Aldo, the Aldo story. It's a great story. But not everybody has to have the Aldo story. Like the Count. I don't know what the Count's true story is, but do you mean his story is different than Aldo's story? Everybody can have a story. You just have to get people to relate to it. And that's how you build a fan base. Hence the reason why I pitched 
The idea is essential to Sportsnet, not just to preview fights and recap fights, but to tell the stories of every single fighter, obviously starting in Canada with the Canadian fighters, and then moving along whenever we would get to the UFC. And that's why, I hate to say it, Sean, I know I know, I sound biased, but that's why I think the UFC here in Canada isn't what it used to be, because there's nothing there to promote any of the fighters. Like, I mean, if I was on the air right now with Sportsnet as an example, Gavin Tucker, the feature that I would do on Gavin Tucker would be absolutely epic. I would do a two-part feature on this guy. Next time he fights and if he ever gets onto a pay-per-view card, I would do a 30-minute show on this guy just showing a different personality. Like you, we used to do with you. We did with George. We did with all these different fighters. The time we came to your house and we did all that. Mark Hominick and Sam Stout, those 30-minute hey, features, those 30-minute shows. What's that? You have that video? I'll have to. I don't know. I gotta find the CD or DVD somewhere. I can probably find it. Perfect. Find that. I don't even have it. <laughs> More homework for me. Uh, but yeah, it's a fact. I mean, it's it's the same thing. I mean, there are ways to help the UFC brand their fighters and get them more marketable, but. I think, you know what, I mean, maybe it's the Zufa regime that forgot about it. I don't know much about uh, WMIIMG and, and, and how they're going to do it, but there are easy ways to do it because it's been done. It's the been hard, done. The hardest part about this, and again, I understand a little bit, that's why the WWE has an easier time, right? Because it's a defined outcome every time. So when the WWE decides we're going to build Stone Cold Steve Austin, well, they know they can have Stone Cold Steve Austin go on a 30-0 run. UFC is a different beast. So let's say you start building Travis Brown. Well, Travis Brown goes out. He looks like doing as well. He gets hit with the right hand. Your story just dropped. I find the harder thing because it's a, there's no predetermined outcome with the UFC. So it's, sometimes it's, a, it's difficult for organizations. And this would, your, your idea is a great idea, but it's hard for organizations sometimes to want to build a fighter because they have to invest money into a fighter. And they have to keep winning. That's why I laughed again. I use the word laugh loosely because I'm not laughing at this. We've talked about it before, but Sage Northcott. I think he's a future star in the sport. But I really resented the fact that he came into the UFC, got a hand-picked opponent, got paid a lot of money, and got way more exposure than anyone else did, and he hadn't earned it yet. So when he lost to a hand-picked opponent that he shouldn't have lost to, I laughed. And it, it, again, it's not laughing at Sage because I think he's a, he seems like a great kid. It was laughing at the UFC, you know, one of their poster boys went down because it, a lot of fighters are resentful to that. And I was one of them. I'm like, why does everybody get these? I get, see guys getting easy fights all the time. I'm like, why am I not getting easy fights? I understand it. I'm 35 years old in the UFC. They're not going to give me, they're not going to build me. But you get resentful, right? Because if I could pick out, you know, the roster of fights, I'm like, oh, I can beat this guy, this guy, this guy. But that's not who I'm getting to fight. No. I remember when I fought Ellenberger, they're like, Sean, thanks for taking that fight. We're going to take care of you. Well, I, after I didn't get my 100 grand in the, my first fight, um, I remember Dana White in the, po in the post fight saying, Hey, George, you owe Sean 100 grand. And then that was because of the question I asked him. I was like, this, th Why would you give this to the fans? The fight of the night was Riddle and Pearson. George gets it because he's the main event. Uh, that's $100,000 gone, in my opinion, out of Sean Pearson's pocket. Yeah. And then he's like, Well, take care of him. I'm like, Take care of me. Like, I didn't get taken care of. I don't know if anybody else did, but I'm pretty sure Riddle didn't get taken care of either. Take care of me. My next fight's Ellenberger. I'm like, how's that taking care of me? You know, I'm still in the first same contract. I didn't get more money to fight Ellenberger. And then after I had that fight, oh, Sean, Dung Young Kim. You know what I mean? I'm like, okay. You know what I mean? Again, I'm an idiot and I say yes to everybody, but I go fight Dung Young Kim. And on New Year's Eve, I lost money on that fight. People don't realize, like, I'm fighting. So let's say I'm on a, at that time, eight and eight. 
or 10 and 10, I don't know, um, in Vegas on New Year's Eve. Okay, so they fly me in one corner down. Well, I've got three corners, so I fly my other two corners down, and I don't, you know, I'm not going to make them pay. Um, because it's New Year's Eve, I fly my wife down, so that's on me, but I fly my wife down. I need to get another hotel room. So by the time I've covered three flights, a Vegas hotel room on New Year's Eve, which isn't cheap, with meals because they're down there for me, I lost the fight. So let's say eight grand minus taxes, minus some expenses. How much do you think I made on that fight? $17.12. Yeah, like I didn't make money to fight. I just fought because I love to fight. Now, again, I could have been cut there and I wasn't. I was given another chance. And then I went on a three-fight win streak. So again, it, everything sort of worked out. But obviously, I'm not a rich man because of the UFC, although I still am grateful for the time I spent there. And it's a great experience. But you know, I can I can look at the negatives and positives and realize that I'm a grown man. I signed the dotted line, so I have no excuses and I don't blame anybody. But I just wish the situation was better. So to close things off, I think you nailed this that point there, and I think it's uh you know I for one appreciate you telling that story, uh, to, talking about your experience. But then you get guys like Elias Theodora who are criticized for doing whatever they can to make as much money as they possibly can with the per plus this movie coming out with this, with that, while they are under contract with the UFC, maximizing the revenue they could potentially make with their brand. And, and, and people are criticizing him. I don't know. I've, I didn't know anybody was criticizing him for it, but that's, I think it's a smart play. Right now, he's got some spotlight. you got to get everything you can out of it. You know what I mean? So maximize this time. It, it can be short. And yeah, to me, he's doing nothing wrong as far as that's concerned. You know what I mean? Although he, gotcha. his hair is terrible, but you know it's the best hair in the UFC, I guess. But <laughs> now I don't think I, you and I are in a position I, I, I to criticize get, his hair. I couldn't get a per plus, so I understand. You know, maybe he can hook me up with some, uh, you know, beard conditioner. I don't know. Although I wouldn't do that either. <laughs> All right, man. Before we let you go, anything else you want to say? No, just uh, what's coming up? Do we have any uh, any fights? I feel like every week there's a bunch of fights. So is anything coming? There's up? actually nothing this weekend, my man. There's nothing this weekend. We get a break from uh, from the UFC for now, but there's other action outside of the UFC. But other than that, we are on a break, my friend. Next week we'll we'll be talking all kinds of headlines and probably some sort of drama between now and then, maybe more. Sounds good, my friend. All right, listen, thank you very much, Sean Pearson. Make sure you do follow him online at Sean Pearson. You can get him on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Follow yours truly at Showdown Joe. Don't forget, uh, FightfulMMA.com is your place to be for all mixed martial arts news. Tomorrow, it'll be Frank Trigg and I, but it will not be at 12.30 like usual. It will be at 2.30 p.m. Eastern. If anything does change, I will do the very best I can to make sure I get it out there as soon as possible. For now, we want to thank Sean Pearson uh, and thank everyone who tuned in live and, of course, to all of you listening in on Stitcher and iTunes later on we appreciate the support ciao for now when you need mealtime inspiration it's worth shopping kroger where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over 600 each week you can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points more savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping kroger worth it every time kroger fresh for everyone fuel restrictions apply